Some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got. There's nothing I could do about it. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. Welcome, everybody. It's Spit. It is Tuesday morning here in California, and it's January 13th, 2020. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass here with you. We're talking surf, all things surf. And David, um, good morning. How are you this morning? I'm wonderful, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It looks as if you're in a hotel room. I am on the road. Yeah. This is for the people waking up at 7 a.m. in a hotel room to maintain our, uh, our obligation and our and honor to the listeners. And where are you roughly? San Luis Obispo, Central uh, Coast. I'm headed, okay. I'm headed from here to uh, go interview our friend Britt Merrick from Channel Island Surfboards to talk about the kind of transition of power and ownership and all that sort of stuff. The news that you broke here on Spit one month ago. Cool, man. That's yeah, full like roster. And have you been surfing at all? I have. I Not on this trip yet, but I have at home, of course, yeah. the last week. I mean, since you and I last uh, recorded, there's been nothing but news. From the storming of the Capitol to Pete Mel to the massive swell kind of all through the Pacific, it's been nonstop, actually. Yeah, I agree. Um, maybe we should just start there. I mean, the, the North Pacific has been on a bender. Um, you know, sort of just like drunk with splendor, the Northeast Pacific just lighting up this coastline um, from Alaska all the way down to probably Colombia and beyond into South America. I mean, this entire West Coast of the globe here uh, has been incredible all time. And all the prime spots have been lighting up here in San Diego. Uh, on Instagram, Big Rock and Black's Beach were the big stories as far as what I saw on Instagram. I couldn't believe a couple of the barrels I saw at Black's. I was like, holy cow, like so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been all time, you know, at all the, all the main spots for sure. And, and it's been maxing out Monday. Of course, Monday here was, was the big day. And that was the day after what we saw occur at Mavericks. How was Monday for you? Monday was an all-timer. It's been all-time. Um, Monday morning, I kind of, I got a few waves, but I didn't feel like I really um, maximized the potential of the swell. So I came home, got rejuvenated, and paddled back out Monday afternoon and got, when the tide was low, and got four incredible big screamers. Epic. Just just went in after that. I got four yep. waves in a row that were all time, and just I called it smart. You've yeah. learned. You've I'm learned learning. Your younger ways. I'm learning. I haven't quite learned, but I did. I did sense the a, a bit of maturity because I, you know, in the past, it's like, you know, the the addictive personality in me. It's like, yeah, I got a good one, but I kind of just forget about it and immediately feel like I need to go get another one. And um, 
And luckily that, you know, that, that, that thought occurred to me, but I just said, you know what? I'm good. I just basically went out there and kind of took candy from babies and I, I should just be counting my blessings. Hey, look, if all of your years in the water um, don't allow you just to kind of be in the right place at the right time, then what's the point of all that, all yeah. that time, you know? So I feel like you did exactly what you meant to do. I mean, in any session, if you can get four great waves in any session, that's a win. You usually have to get 30 waves to get the four great ones and you spend three hours trying to do it. So if you can just paddle straight out, get your four, it, yeah, it is a mature move to kind of recognize that and then bail. Risk mitigation. Because on days like that, you end up, you either end up paddling a ton, you can end up hurt, you can end up getting worked. Yeah. A couple of stories I, I'll tell you real quick. Um, one, of the, one of the coolest things I saw was there was moments in the past week where um, it was kind of inconsistent, you know, like it was quite a lully swell at moments, you know, and um, and there was one day where we were, everyone was outside and we were sitting out there and, um, you know, there's a solid 30 people in the water and, and there's a, one guy that's sitting way outside of everyone, you know, and basically just waiting for that one wave that may or may not approach. And this guy, he waited and waited and waited. And finally a big bomb set came and he, was maybe a little bit too far outside, but he put his head down and, and stroked into this thing. And it was one of those things where even if you were on the inside of this guy, you knew it was his turn to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and he wasn't, he was in the perfect spot actually, because when it gets that big, those bigger large sets swing over to the bowl and he, and he caught it and, and he rode it all the way through. I think I might've got the next one, but the point is, is that, um, I just remember saying to myself, wow, this guy, the patience that this guy showed, yeah. you know, and he paddled back out and went out there and sat again. Wow. And so I was like, just kind of in awe of the guy. And so I paddled up to him. I paddled way, you know, outside another 20, 30 yards outside. And I said, Hey, I just want to tell you that your patience was incredible. And congratulations. You deserve that wave. It was a great wave. I'm, I'm super stoked for you. And he kind of looked at me, he had his, he had his little hoodie on and he kind of looked at me and like, okay, thanks, man, you know, and, and then I turned, then I turned around and paddled back 20 yards to where everyone else was catching most of the waves, and eventually he found his way to me, and he goes, hey, you're Scott, aren't you, and I go, yeah, and he goes, it's, and he pulled his, his hoodie off, he goes, it's me, Brett Howard, and it's Devin Howard's younger brother, and no I'm like, way. Brett, yeah, and I hadn't even recognized him during our, our, con our little conversation, our little bit of discourse, and I went, Brad, it's so good to see you, man, and great surfing. And, you know, we had a, a little cool moment there where we got to acknowledge each other and we hadn't seen each other in the water. And I've surfed with Brett before, and he's a great surfer. I mean, he, he's, you know, as good as Devin. Um, and so that's saying a lot. They're both great surfers, you know. What was and he so riding? He was riding what, which is what should have tipped me off. He was riding a Craig, right? So those guys, Brett worked at Mitch's forever, and he might still work at Mitch's. I don't even know. But um, he's been riding Dave Craig surfboards for probably 30 or 40 years. So um, that should have been my tip off, but I just didn't recognize him. But was but it, it was kind cool. of like a mini gun or what, what kind of shape? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was like a, probably like an 8.2 or oh, something wow. like that. You know, an 8.2 tri-fin, like something that you'd ride in really mean surf. And, and he caught the meanest wave of the day, you know. 
The funny thing is when he just kind of, um, when you paddled up to him to say that and he was just like, Oh, okay, whatever. He honestly was probably expecting you to like jockey him or to make a joke or to try to get on his inside or something because nobody does that. You know what I mean? Like he was, he was being standoffish probably to try to assess what you were really trying to get out of him. Yeah, there's no doubt um, that I might've thrown him for a little bit of a loop. I, I made sure not to paddle on the inside. I just wanted to, I, I paddled up to him and said, Hey, you know, and I, right. I but immediately does that. If somebody yeah. did it, I'd be like, dude, what? Like, uh, okay. You know? Yeah. That, that's kind of what he said. Actually. <laughs> that's kind of like, what, okay. What, what are you really up to here? pal? Exactly. <laughs> and then um, a few days later, and I'm just going to give you some insights into what, you know, some of my sessions were like, a few days later, I, uh, it was a kind of a smaller day. It might've been like four to five feet with some six foot sats or something. And a guy paddled out on a soft top and kind of paddled out from around the back so that when he paddled out, he was immediately on the inside of everybody. And, and he took off on a wave and I dropped in on him. You know, I, I looked at him and I burned him, you know, and, and it's not something I'm proud of. I don't say that. Um, like, aren't I cool? I say it because I'm kind of, I am embarrassed by what I did. And, and at the time I was like, you know, screw you, bro. Soft top. You know, I had all of these rationalizations for me dropping in on him. This is what goes through Scott's mind. It's, it's a sick place. It's a dangerous neighborhood in between these two ears. And, and I, and I kicked out eventually and, and, we had a couple words when he was paddling out and he was, I was basically like, Hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know, like, and he's like, not so good. I mean, I just got burned, you know, and I, and then I didn't say anything. I just, I just went, all right, whatever. <laughs> now I know where he stands on this situation. I guess he doesn't acknowledge that my rationalization for what I did. And, and then I just, it started to eat at my heart, you know, and I'm like, you know what I did. I, that was lame. That was lame. Like, Regardless of how it went down, I don't feel good about it. So I paddled up, and then he was sitting way on the inside of everyone, kind of in no man's land where really waves aren't breaking. So I paddled up to him and I went, hey, I need to apologize for my behavior. You know, I didn't, I shouldn't have done that. It was wrong. You can have any wave. If you see me on a wave, just go. I don't even care. Just, you know, please accept my apology. He's like, oh, thank you so much, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I go, hey, my name's Scott. He goes, my name's Matt. I go, cool, Matt. It's very cool to serve with you. Like, you know, I'm looking, blah, blah, blah. And we became friends. And, um, and I spoke with a friend of mine in the parking lot about this, who's a, who's a psychiatrist. He's a, he's a doctor. And we spoke about this concept of the male ego creating conflict subconsciously. Did you and I speak about this already? Yeah. The male ego creating conflict subconsciously so that we can right the wrong and thereby make friends. And he said, it's something that the male ego's done for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. At least there's some school of thought within psychology that believes that that's something that the male does. Whereas the female will kind of air their um, concerns and their, their situation sort of, they won't bottle it all up and, conflict and then resolve they'll just kind of caddy it out and never really have a big moment of conflict but that's that's a couple of the situations that 
that happened to me during this swell. And what's of note is that none of them had to do with me riding anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's really interesting. The psychological concept you're talking about. I'd never thought about that before, but you're right. You do feel purged after a conflict and just growing up with brothers, you know, there are tons of examples of hating each other's guts and then you fight and immediately after you're playing again and hugging. So you need that kind of purge. So it's an interesting thought that as we quote mature and get older, that conflict exists in our head and almost comes to a resolution so that we can then just get to the friendship part. Yeah. Never, never heard that before. Yeah. What's interesting is the subconscious part of it. Like, You're right. like you, you don't never, you don't ever say to yourself, I'm going to burn him. So in about 10 minutes we can be bros. No, exactly. You know, but that's, what's fascinating how that percolates underneath everything because it's this is not the first time this has happened i mean i've made quite a few friends in the past couple of weeks just, <laughs> we've heard the stories <laughs> just by saying hey I'm, you know what i should have done that i mean honestly a listener could go through an archivist listener could go through and pull little clips here's a series of scott, scott burning people <laughs> all the way back to <laughs> instagram icon from five years ago and and it's like i said it's um you know, I'm embarrassed by it. Like it's not well, something that I would want somebody to pull those clips. So let me pull but, back. Let me go back to the beginning of that story. Yeah. You burned him for reasons that you felt were justified in the moment. You're both paddling out and you go, Hey, how's it going? And he goes, not too good. I just got burned. You didn't, there's an opportunity to provide kook you one Oh one to this guy right there. You could have said, Oh yeah, no, I mean, I didn't burn you. I took off on you because you paddled out farther than everybody who's been waiting their turn and you tried to jump the line. That's why I went on you. Yeah, I agree with you. Like that would be kook 101, but this, that is so subjective. Like that's just the way I perceived it. You know, he could have perceived it like that's the way I always paddle out. And by the way, he's not the only one that paddles out the back that way. And um, the fact that he's on a wave storm indicates. Okay, that's, the, that's number two, right? <laughs> So you're, you're right. It is subjective, but as a society, there are uh, a, a consensus of objective views. So yeah, they're all objective, but there's a consensus and we all kind of agree. This is how it's doing. And in fact, we're all sitting on this peak operating under this consensus. So he was the outlier who could have used an education in that one instance. I, you know, I, my thing is, first of all, I don't want to be the one that educates people. It's just not my place. Like, it shouldn't be my place. It shouldn't, you know. I'm, you just want to be the enforcer? <laughs> no, I don't want to be. No, that's exact. I do not want to be that guy. That yeah. That's a surefire way to ruin your day is to be that dumb shit. That's like, let me show you how it's done. You know, like that surfers are the worst. <laughs> and, but I, I just... I kind of question the whole kook you thing because it's like we're you and I, by just making these so-called like parameters of what's acceptable and what's not, that's kind of like, um, that's being a little bit, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for. It's, it's pretentious. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like, who are we to write the rules? You know, like now what's interesting is on a two foot day or a three foot summer day or whatever, and there's 15 guys on soft tops and 15 guys on fishes or whatever, shit just happens. But on a, on a North Pacific wintertime swell at low tide, you know, when everyone else that's in the water has kind of got their shit together, there's not a lot of um, adult vulnerable, uh, vulnerable adult learners. Yeah. And this guy was not that. I mean, this guy knew how to serve. 
he was just on a wave storm. Like you, you knew this guy probably had three or four legit boards at home. Um, and so that kind of comes into the equation too, right? Like, oh, it, it's just, it's just all such, I don't know. It's weird. Um, it's a weird thing. There is a weird dynamic that's happening right now that you just identified, which is decent surfers riding wave storms. I know. I'll, I'll see guys <laughs> on a wave storm and I'll kind of think that they're a Val and it's okay to burn. And then they actually know what they're doing. And it's kind of shocking. I know. And, and that, you know, like part of me wants to say that is completely wrong. And then the other part of me wants to say, it's none of my business. Why do I even give a shit? Anyone can ride whatever they want to ride. He's having a good time. He's in the ocean. But of course, you know, like my entire, you know, how I make money is based on shaming wave stars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, aside from that, aside from our own judgment of it, I'm confused yeah. as to why. I, I think that, I mean, I, I, on some level, those boards work. Like if they didn't work, I don't think these guys would ride them. Well, they, pat, they paddle well and they go straight. So you yeah. can paddle into a wave and go straight on them. That's all I do anyway on my board. <laughs> not really. Not really. And they're not going to go as fast as your board. And they're not going to allow you, like if there's a, like any element of critical drop, you're not going to be able to make the wave. There's so many limitations to it that I'm, con again, I'm just confused as to why people would choose that. Well, another thing is that if you're on a wave storm and you get burned, like, how much, uh, how much uh, the level of, uh, of just, of, of just being angry about it, sort of, it's hard to approach the guy who burned you with any sort of validity, you know what I mean? Yeah. With any sort of legitimacy, like, you, and, but I, I think that's the lamest thing ever. I, I, in my head, I was like, okay, I'm going to tell this guy, yeah, but you're riding a wave storm. But that's so friggin' like teenage. It is. Yeah. I didn't even go there. And I, I talked myself out of that. Like, that's just, the whole thing's just stupid. At the end of the day, I was wrong. And it doesn't matter what anyone's riding. I mean, it could have been a guy on a boogie board. Yeah. You know, it, there's an element of fun with riding soft tops in general, where it, it dissolves the ego that's associated with performance. And so it, once you get on a hard top board, you have certain expectations for yourself and if a good wave comes, then you definitely don't want to blow it. Being on a soft top board zaps all of that. And it just makes it fun. And even if you eat it, it's kind of fun. Like there's a childlike kind of funness, yeah. fun element quotient. Yeah. And 90% and of the time, though, you can sense that in those guys when they're out there. They're kind of like, oh, I'm just going to go fin first or just do some crazy yeah. stuff or have to spin around or, you know, like high five my bros and jump on the board together and whatever, you know. but they're 10% of the time there's guys that are like, I'm out here to perform on this thing, <laughs> you know, that's, like that's to, shocking. to lay down the most high performance turns I can do that this board will allow. Well, speaking of irreverent fun and parking lot um, banter, we got an email from rainbow. Can you hold on to that? Cause I have to take a pee break. Yep. We'll go to I'll, commercial. I'll be counting. Okay. <laughs> kind of, what kind of inside info are you getting there? Sneaking in a morning phone call. Um, okay, so Rainbow has feedback about, remember I was complaining about how dirty your wintertime wax jobs are? Yes. Your wintertime boards. See, that one's not too bad, though. Yeah. Um, 
So that is that that's the Clyde Beatty Jr. Have you been writing that? I have. I, yeah. yeah, I'm not throughout, but I've taken it out a few times, and it and it. I got to admit, I was telling when I you know waxed it up, I'm like, oh, I don't know if this thing's this thing's it's a it's a kind of a crazy board, and um, but I wrote it a few times, and I really liked it. It has a lot of positive mojo. Like it, so, the paddle's insane. It's it's got so much volume. It, that's what I was gonna say. Is I think the volume would serve you well for all this swell, but isn't yeah. it isn't it EPS? Yeah, it's super yeah. light. It's EPS. I don't um, want that for big swell. Yeah, I get you. I know there's not a lot of like inertia, you know. Right. No, but um, it, it it works pretty good. There was a couple of moments where it was a little poltergeisty, but that was had as much to do with me not really being in the right place on the board. Um, still feeling it out kind of thing. Well, explain poltergeisty as a surf. Okay. <laughs> poltergeist. surf. I'm surprised you don't know. I, I mean, do know. I, I, don't, I don't think listeners know. Can I guess? Yeah, go ahead. It's a common term. <laughs> the, that kind of static, uh, that like sure. in, the, in the film, it's the static on the TV, but in the board, it's like, um, a jittery kind of n not being able to hold the energy. Sure. That's, that's one form of poltergeisty. For, okay. Absolutely. In general, it means for me, it means the board's sort of not going where I need it to go when I want it to go there. You know, mm -hmm. like it has a mind of its own. Okay. Oh, I see. Okay. The board is possessed by the. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Poltergeisty. Exactly. And that's why you snapped on that local. No, 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 no. I'm just no. kidding. I wasn't even riding that board that day. I know, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, that, so that's a new board and that's a new wax job. So it doesn't actually relate to this story. But I think we were talking about the step up Rawson that you had back there that had a quarter inch of wax, brown, dirty wax that was just yeah. layered and layered. Circa so 1997. Yeah, exactly. So um, our, bo our boy Rainbow in New Zealand said, save all your old surf wax, ball it up and put it in a wax cup and lightly microwave it. Sand, dirt, all wax types, put it all in there. After that, just throw it in the back of your car, and the next time you're asked for wax from some val at the beach, don't give them your new wax, which seldom gets, re seldom gets returned. Give them the old reconstituted wax. One year, I incorporated some leftover hive wax with uh, pollen and tree resin. I gave it to some guy and explained that it was organic and natural and extra sticky, and it basically ruined his wetsuit. Oops, sorry, dude. I only did that once, and I still feel guilty about it, but nobody's ever asked me for wax ever again, so mission accomplished. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> Do you ever anticipate such a vindictive streak in Rainbow? No, it kind of surprises me. He's, 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 um, he has a, a bit of, uh, I'm searching for the right word for him, but that part of that part of his personality, I haven't seen before. Um, I honestly, it, he, this is an email that he sent me, but I would imagine what he left out is he probably tried to create a natural yeah. version of wax exactly. and like, he, he realized it wasn't working, but he did like let another guy try it and it accidentally ruined his wetsuit. And, yeah. but the side effect is nobody's asked him for wax again. Yeah. Win win. Yeah. Yeah. Who knew? Um, well, what do you want to talk more about this? Swell? I've got a yeah. segue into WSL news. Um, okay. We need to talk about the swell a little bit because okay. 
really the the main story here is peter mel which is just this is the lead story in my opinion um peter melcott um a, a mean fast moving perfectly groomed 45 foot wave um he paddled at mavericks on on a day of days at mavericks that'll just go down in infamy and we thought we had already seen that the week prior yeah but we hadn't um he paddled into it from behind the bowl at mavericks and he rather easily stroked into this wave chip shot and then yeah he chip shot it in exactly and then as he drops this wave which is already 45 feet in my estimation lurches in size another 15 feet and at its peak it's a massive massive wave and he knifes down the wave and you're kind of going okay this is this is incredible and and then he hits that sucking ledge that, that he the ball basically that he took off behind and this is a place few if any if, that i can recall have ever paddled in to a wave behind the ball at mavericks many guys have towed in behind it and somehow there's this really critical moment where his he, he hits the ledge about midway down, maybe two thirds of the way down the wave face. And there's a moment when you stop this video, if you look at it, where it could have all gone horribly wrong. But for whatever reason, and not really whatever reason, for an immense amount of skill and 30 years of surfing this wave. And, and I'd like to give some credit to the guy who made that board. I'd love to know who built that board. Do you know? So Channel Islands, uh reposted it which makes me think that they might have made the board but i've never seen him ride one of their boards yeah. but i was actually at arrow yesterday with bob pearson and pete showed up yeah. randomly to pick yeah. up a board from bob yeah so it might have been uh pearson arrow yeah I'll, I'll i'll look into it so there was a critical moment where everything could have gone horribly wrong, but but again, somehow Pete managed, he negotiated that mid-face ledge and just barely pulls up into the tube and and he stretches out his arms as if to say, you know, that's it. It doesn't get any better than this on any level. I mean, and then the wave spits him out of the tube and that's really the drop the mic moment right there. And and he was right that that's it. It doesn't get any better. David, I'm hoping you will join me as I call on the marketing decision makers at O'Neill to gift every last dollar from every single wave of the winter contest, both in Hawaii and from around the globe and hand it to Peter Mel. There are not any waves of the winter that are any steeper, bigger, more perfect, more gnarly, more treacherous, have more consequence than Peter Mel's paddling wave on, a, on Sunday, January 10th. Any wave ridden at Pipeline any better than this? No way. Could we ever see such a glorious and monstrous and momentous wave ever ridden in such a manner ever again? We see waves ridden at Pipeline every year where, okay, yeah, wave of the winner, he got tubed and got spit up, congratulations. We won't see anything like this ever again, in my opinion. At least not in the next 20 years. Here, here, it, I second here, here. your opinion. I Thank second. you, sir. Thank you, good you sir. Thank you, good citizen. Yeah, no, I mean, dude, it, it, it it's unbelievable, and then he's 55 or whatever age he is. 52, I believe. 52. So that makes it even more incredible. And to add more lore to this kind of week-long storyline is he was surfing all those sessions with his son. 
who's probably yes. eight. I think he's probably 20 at this point, yes. but John Mel. Yeah. Um, and so they were posting t- footage together from earlier in the week. And John was actually, go- John's a goofy foot. So John was going left at Mavericks on a number of waves. And I remember Pete writing somewhere, but I looked up his Instagram this morning and I didn't see it there. So I'm not sure where it would have been, but Pete was talking about John saved Pete earlier in the week. Like Pete found himself in a harrowing situation and he said that John quote saved him. So I would imagine if I had to guess, John was maybe on the ski and he swooped in and got Pete yeah. on the ski yeah, yeah. rather than like some heroic save paddling in, but yeah. it doesn't even matter. He says, my son saved, what a week it's been. You know, my son saves me, blah, 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 all this other stuff. And then I, I get the, what I think is the way of my life earlier in the week. It all turns out to just be preparation for Sunday's swell, um, which was legitimately, I mean, everybody, you, all the locals, everybody's there. It was like, this is the best wave we've ever seen ridden at Mavericks. So it's, and it's and amazing that's my- feat. That kind of like that's kind of where I got this. I don't think we're ever going to see like anything like this again for a very long time. It's taken twenty five or thirty years of these guys attempting this this type of ride, and more well, all of them um, just don't take off that deep. And if they do, they don't get lucky enough. Some of them have gone and, and straightened out and gotten absolutely detonated, but. I mean, all the elements came together, you know, and um, was there an element of luck? I don't know. That's not my call. That's for Pete to tell us. But there was certainly a big, big, you know, 99.9% of it was pure skill and pure experience. Yeah, exactly. And and there's no doubt in my mind that that this is not only the wave of the winner, it's the wave of the winner for all spots. And it's also the wave of the winner if you put every single wave into some sort of contest now granted you know there's some hyperbole here on my part but i don't think it should you can't so. you can't understate how incredible this this ride is i don't think there's there's hype you can't and so there's no hyperbole like pete's fully deserving of it and to be perfectly honest i thought pete's best days were behind him you know if we saw a wave like this from mavericks i did not expect pete mel to be the one riding it and in recent Maverick swells, I guess he has been out there like in recent years of Maverick swells. I certainly know that he's been out there, but he's not been the top performer of any of those days. And so I just thought he was part of the old guard who's going to get one or two exciting ones and, you know, save, save himself and not really put himself in the most critical spots. But this indicates that, you know, uh, Kai Lenny was there. Twiggy was there. Ian Walsh was there. I, uh, I don't know if Billy Kemper, I think Billy, yeah, Billy Kemper was there. Nathan Florence was there. So the difference is Pete Mel surfed it for 30 years. So all those guys will get good waves out there, but to be in the spot for that chip in and to angle it the way that he did, that is 30 years of experience. And a 30 year old man actually probably can't do that unless he's just fully risking everything and there's a lot more luck at play pete's was an assessment of what is direction is this swell what is my experience from surfing here for this previous week on these lesser swells and okay i think this is the one and paddling into it so it's amazing and 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 you know to have the moxie to pull up into the bowl and to do that with his hands to just kind of like it was almost like a 
it was it was almost like a divine moment where he just kind of like put his hands out, you know, kind of like this, and yeah. and just and just went, that's it. There, it. This There's is it. Else. There's yeah. nothing else. Like he basically was going, it's over, Johnny. Like I win, and he didn't mean it in a compet. I don't mean that to say in a competitive way. Again, I think it's more of like a divine spiritual thing where he's like, holy mackerel, and this is insane. I win at life and honest and on also this is the best wave I'm ever going to get in my life. I accept it. I've worked my whole life for it. Here it is. And I just got it. It's never going to get better than this. That's yeah. And, and, and that really to me is fascinating because so I've been chewing on a couple things about what you said. First of all, regarding Pete kind of being back as number one out there there, I, I again, Pete needs to speak to all this and, and I'm just kind of riffing. So I'm no expert on, on his uh, motivations, but I'm, I'm going to, assume that because of some of the responsibilities that he had with the WSL in the past, um, he probably wasn't allowed the, um, the amount of time out there that he needed to feel like he's ready to push himself a little deeper and a little further. And he might have at some point said, you know what, my best days are past me and I'm stoked and I've caught in plenty of great waves and, and the history has shown that. Um, and then fast forward and he sort of re purposes or redirects his life to his surf shop in Santa Cruz and to his family life in Santa Cruz. And he's not doing as much WSL stuff. Part of that is probably the COVID thing. And, and part of it is just the way that the schedule played out. But, and on top of that, now his son is maturing as a young adult male, as a man, and his son is going, dad, let's go. And he now has the time to do this and has the time to show his son the ropes in a much deeper fashion than perhaps he did when his son was 15 or 16. And, and, and so his son may have pushed him a little bit, maybe subconsciously. And that tied in with the fact that he had a lot of time on his hands. He probably, that probably helped redirect his energy to, hey, yeah, you know what? I can still chew this, this monster a little bit. I can still kind of tear at the toy here like a pit bull and, and rip at it. And I think that might have played into it a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Um, there is, go ahead. I, well, the other thing I was going to say is, I know that there are a lot of media types such as you and I pulling at Pete Mel going, Hey, I'd like to get an interview with you. And I'm not sure if you did that when you saw him at, at, uh, at, um, Era. Bob, Bob Pearson's. But my thought is I, I would love to get an interview with Pete and, and I, and I wouldn't want to get it right now. I want to get it in like a month. I want this thing to settle with him because you brought up something, which I think is the most fascinating thing is like, is that really it for Pete Mel? Like, it's not going to get better. And so this whole idea of, can we still get the same amount of joy out of a 10-foot day at Mavericks, which isn't even really a thing, let's call it a 20-foot day at Mavericks, or a 40-foot day at Mavericks, or a 6-foot day at Sewer Peak? You know, like, and I think I know the answer to that, which is probably yes on some level, but not the same level of excitement and the same level of verve. But I, I, I would like to get an interview with him later on after this marinates a little bit. And after he's done a series of interviews with Surfline or whatever, which is kind of like breaking down the ride. I'm more into breaking down the psychosis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, as you're saying, a series of interviews. Who's left? Who's that? Who's out there to interview him? It's kind of us and our friends, you yeah. know, like there's not the, yeah. the big, um, 
gets that you would have held out for in the past don't exist. Yeah. Um, well, there was an element of the ride too that I don't know if you, uh, if you touched on it in addition to everything else that you said, there's a kink in the wave. Like as he's kind of adjusting into kind of the pocket, it's not a perfect, easy wave to surf. There's actually a bump or two in it that he has to kind of like navigate well, over. Yeah, no, that's what I mentioned. There's the ball yeah. that it ledges up um, and you have to kind of stop the video a little bit to see where it yes. occurs. But there is a moment where it all could have gone horribly wrong if his nose dug. Or just like it could have like tilted the board and lesser surfers would have just like eaten it right there. You know, it was yeah. a really, really deft navigation. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I'll say about that wave is let's take a moment just to acknowledge that Mavericks is one of the gnarliest big wave spots on the planet. Like it's a fully barreling, like gaping barrel. The bowl at Jaws does it, but the peak at Jaws doesn't do it. And Waimea doesn't necessarily do it. And Dungeons doesn't necessarily do it. Mavericks is a freaking different beast entirely. I, I, I'm no expert. I've been out there. I've never caught a wave out there and I would never want to catch a wave out there. But um, I would suggest to you that it is the gnarliest big wave spot. It's gnarly. Yeah. It's really crazy. Did you happen to catch Jamie Mitchell's thing they did on Surfline where he goes out with Jojo on the ski and they, and just getting out a huge massive set comes and they're on the ski and they're like, gosh, like they're getting shut down, just getting through it on the ski for a little bit. Yeah. It was kind of cool. What about Twiggy's uh, toe-in wave? Oh, my God. I know we, we do need to, to, to shout, you know, give shout-outs to those guys. Twiggy is, is always incredible. And as we speak, I think more and more is going to be revealed. They sort of just gave us a teaser on Surfline. And I think more of, um, of Eric Nelson's footage. And by the way, Eric Nelson, that guy's been doing it for, since day one out there, um, filming for Powerlines. He deserves uh, some sort of media award yeah, totally. um, for his dedication to it. And, um, but Twiggy for sure, the stuff that we've seen of Luca Padoa is mind blowing, right? Yeah. Um, Justine DuPont, anybody that was out there catching waves that day, the Twiggy wipeout is just, I don't know if that was before or after or during the same session. I sense that it was during the same session. It, it's, I sense that Twiggy was like, I'm going to try to, outdo pete but again i don't know if that wave was before or after pete's wave i think pete got a toe in one too that was even... no, i mean the, the paddling wipeout that Twiggy oh takes. Yeah, yeah 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 that where he goes airborne like that airdrop and then eats it man if he could have stuck that i honestly while i was watching i was like he could stick that <laughs> well i don't know yeah i don't know maybe the way that i uh was sent it the way that it was worded I thought that he was going to stick it and it was going to be like, I thought it was going to be the Pete got the heroic ride and then Twiggy one upped him, like he said, and got the even more heroic ride. So I was waiting for him to land that, but yeah, that was insane. As far as landing something like that, I, and again, I'm no big wave rider, but it seems that when you get that free fall, like you're over the ledge and you have to free fall and your board disconnects from the wave phase. The fact that you're on a 10-foot board or 10-6 or whatever, at that point, it's a problem. Like sometimes you sense that if you were on a tow board, you could maybe land it, you know, stick your board into the wave and kind of keep going. But with that much board, once you land, it's almost like a rock hits yeah. the water and you're going to just get shot off. We've seen 
um, Kai Lenny be able to catch air on short, you know, five, five toe boards or kite boards and, and stick it by having the nose kind of up in the air, like landing on the tail. And anyway. No, you're right. And you lose your line too. So your line is so important in maintaining it. And once you kind of disconnect from the wave, the board's headed a different direction and it's impossible to redirect a 10 foot board. Just period. Um, Well, friggin' crazy couple of days up there for sure. And just crazy waves here. Everybody's along the whole coast has surfed out. I mean, yesterday was kind of an off day and it was four to six feet. And I know many people that have said, you know what? I'm good. I'm taking the day off. Those are the days I've always scored the best, to be honest, is end of the swell, especially like growing up, going to lowers a bunch. It would be like Sunday, you know, where you would think it'd be busy, but it's empty because Friday, Saturday were packed and pumping. You get the tail end of the swell, still plenty of waves. Yeah. Um, So can we transition slightly to the WSL? Absolutely. As long as one more time we hear at, the spit podcast we are making a plea to the people at o'neill to take all of the monies wrap them up into one big check and hand it over to peter mel there's only one monies though isn't there there's well, just they, one check they have a regional wave of oh, the winner do. thing too okay. yeah okay 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 so you're saying compile all the regions there yeah there is just one wave of the winner we have our winner it's over if I won wave of the winter, let's say in the Southern hemisphere or somewhere, some other region, I would feel undeserving of it. Knowing what Pete did in the North, in the North Pacific, you know what I mean? I know. It's so funny you say that because like the vanity in me, I got a really good wave it one day and I'm like, Oh, and I asked him, like, Hey, what time is it? And he's like, it's 1145. I'm like, okay, killer. And I, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to go do the Surfline rewind and post that on my Instagram. And I went and grabbed it and looked at it, and I'm like, there's no way I can post this relative to what Pete Mel just posted. I'm not posting this. This is stupid. It looks like, the, you know, anyway, Pete Mel's won it, man. He's the, it's the wave of the winner. There are no other waves of the winner that it's are true. better than that. I don't it's care true. where. Everybody stand down. Stand down. Stand down and just look in awe. Yes. To, your, to the north at the wingspan yes. of the condor. Exactly. Um, so I've gotten lots of feedback after our last conversation about the WSL and how they proceed through 2021 now that Santa Cruz and Sunset Beach event have been canceled. Every, Santa Cruz was postponed. Right, all but canceled. Yeah. And so you were arguing that, well, with the vaccine, you know, maybe they end up in Australia. They, and even the WSL in their press release said, we're looking forward to reconvening in April in Australia. Every single thing I heard, and this is from not just internet pundits, but scholars, uh, medical industry professionals, doctors and stuff. um, Everybody says there's no chance Australia comes together. There's just way too many variables. And in the positive version of any of those variables is a needle in a haystack. It's like, maybe if everything goes right, then they can get in this way. But then there's 10 other variables over here that need a hundred things to go right in order for that to come together. So I would say the WSL season 2021 is a wash. That is my prediction. It's not that bold of a prediction now, but I was saying it months ago too, but I don't think there's any chance Australia happens. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, 
you know, part of me last week breaking down how it could happen was just so that we could have a point counterpoint, but there's just, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Here's the good news. Yeah. Spit survived in 2020 without the WSL's news. So here we'll, we'll be here throughout 2021 as well. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, and there's, there's never a lack of fun stuff to talk about. And um, we still live in a, a vibrant and significant surf culture and, um, and surfing's just fascinating. And, um, and one of the greatest things uh, for you and I is that it's, it's often impossible to exactly pinpoint why it's so fascinating. So it leaves us with a never ending supply of, uh, of stuff to try to pinpoint. Perfect segue to this email that a listener sent. He said, my first introduction to surf culture is more, well, by the way, I didn't read the first paragraph or two that he sent, but he's relatively new into surfing and our podcast has been um, influential essentially. But he, he goes on to say, my first introduction to surf culture is like most I'd guessed, the Endless Summer film, the movie North Shore and Point Break. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that surfing is not your common, quote, sport. The strength of those movies is the characters, nothing to do with the sporting of surfing. Even calling it a sport is dubious. So my question is, how has the WSL managed to deplete surfing culture of everything uh, of how has the WSL managed to deplete surfing culture of everything that actually makes it interesting? Surfing is such a rich and wonderful culture filled with amazing and colorful characters overflowing with extraordinary experiences and rife with fascinating story from the anti-authoritative subversive subculture, radically unconventional personalities. We now have the Huntington beach surf bro, the remote control groms of lowers, the stock dim jocks, homogenous to the bone, the uninspiring attempt to turn surfing into, quote, a professional sport is apparent with the tennis-themed U.S. Open of surfing in Huntington Beach. Like much of the surf community, I followed the WSL mostly as an occasional distraction from actual surfing, but how how have they managed to somehow distill surfing into the least interesting banal version of itself? When you guys talk about how disappointed you are, like with their week-long radio silence with the pipe master's hiatus, I'm in complete agreement. I am their core demographic, and and I'm developing disdain. They've somehow managed to drain creativity from surfing, and now they can't even run the events themselves. Watching a roster of 50 of the world's greatest surfers, which they obviously aren't, flying around the world, spreading their uniformity and self-righteous pompous assertion that this is surfing, nope, not for me. Thanks to the WSL for doing the impossible, making surfing boring. Best, Jake in Los Angeles. Well, Jake, bringing it. Scathing. Yeah, a couple things. Um, you know, I think the WSL is at its greatest when they're producing professional surfing competitions. And a sort of a confluence of things occurred, um, most notably the elimination of print magazines, which were sort of um, – you know, maybe, maybe it's a stretch, but they were certainly foundational in carrying on the culture. Um, and then there was this vacuum and we all filled it. You and I filled it. Everyone filled it. Cook of the day filled it, you know, 
Instagram filled it. A bunch of things filled this vacuum trying to kind of wrap our hands around this, this beast known as surf culture and sort of guide it or at least explain it or at least try to shed some light on it. And the WSL found itself going, oh, well, we're the experts, so maybe that's what we should do. When in fact, what they should do is produce professional surfing contests. Yeah. It, it, now, if you do that really, really well, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff that's sort of ancillary to what your core thing is. But I almost sense that they were like, they're like, there's no more surfer, there's no more surfing, there's no more print magazines, there's, there's all these, we're the ones, man, we've got to lead this revolution or this new you know, paradigm. And they almost kind of like were um, frozen with um, too much of a vacuum. Like they, were, they, they didn't really know which way to go and they should have just focused. Yeah, completely agree. Um, well, I wanted to use that email also to segue into talking about what you talked about, which is bringing it back to regional competitions because in Australia, they just ran the annual Burley single fin event. And this is a great example of the regional contest. It's also a great example of what Jake's talking about where there's all these, uh, it's a different style of contest. So you don't have to just, and, and you don't have to just ride high performance thrusters, which by the way, in a WSL event, you can ride any board that you want to ride. It's just the judges won't know how to process it. But this is a event where it's single fin only. It's pre 85. It's a complete different vibe, but it, it is the exact example of rich culture. Like families come out to the event, former pro surfers show up for the event it's fun. Everybody's having a good time. I'm sure it has local sponsors from the local restaurant or pub or whatever, you know, so all the locals are involved and it develops this unique thing that can only happen at Burley. Like there's no way we could reinvent and do that event at Lowers or in Huntington Beach or anywhere else. But we could do a version of it in Huntington Beach that would be infused with Huntington Beach's culture. It, <laughs> Pit bulls on chains, <laughs> Trump supporters. <laughs> Tito Ortiz will be there maskless. He's probably going to fight somebody. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, what does this Huntington Beach culture look like? Thank you. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that's the point is that the reason why you, tra why you would travel to Italy to eat pasta is because that culture is so steeped in what it does and knows what it does well that it kind of comes from the ground up. Yeah. And there's no way to recreate that in China, but China has its own, you know? And so yeah. that's what surfing has always been. Yeah. And the, yeah, I think Jake nails it with the homogenization of putting everybody on a plane, flying them around and trying to infuse that homogeneity into the other cultures and then actually wash away what is culturally unique in each of those cultures and be like, no, we're just riding pointy thrusters and we're going to surf this way. Like that is just a failed experiment that we know at this point has failed and stop trying to cram it down everybody's throat. You know? But, but yeah. I mean, in, in confluence with that is the athletes that did that successfully for the last 10 or 20 years made more money than anybody else in, kind of in the surf world. So there was an incentive for young surfers to kind of chase that goal. And that incentive isn't there anymore. And now the events aren't even happening. So for Wade Carmichael or the ace, you know, uh, Connor O'Leary, guys like that, 
Connor O'Leary cannot become Ace Buck in 2.0 because that option isn't there anymore. And so I think go back to Mikey Wright's model. You know, Connor O'Leary's looking over at Mikey Wright going, dang, maybe I should grow a mullet and some facial hair because the three turns to the beach thing isn't a, a viable business model anymore. Yeah. And, and, that would fail if Connor did that anyway, because it wouldn't be authentic. Mikey Wright's totally. authentic about it. But a um, couple things. I absolutely agree that um, surf culture is at its best when we don't try to define it in some like massive sweeping blanket of generalization that we put on it across the globe. It's at its best when it's these little pods. And it, those pods are so small that surf culture is different from little town to little town. Exactly. Surf culture is much different in Laguna Beach than it is in San Clemente. Totally. And maybe not much different, but if you know, you can, oh, see, totally. you, you can see the differences. Totally. And so why are we homogenizing those? We need to celebrate all of those exactly. little pockets and keep celebrating them and keep them rich. And what, one of the greatest things about Australia is this, is this board riders club thing that they had going, you know, where they had each little pocket celebrated, you know, that it's it's fascinating to you know those late 60s early 70s when the tr- shortboard transformation was taking place and you had say the byron bay board riders go up and uh, go up and surf against noosa and wow the different types of equipment that were being ridden and the way the judges were processing that that must have been uh, a celebration of, of cultures for sure you know and anyway i i agree with the emailer what was yeah. his name uh, Jake in Los Angeles. Yeah, Jake in LA. You know, homogenization bad, authenticity good, and 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 any of us trying to uh, corral what we think is the right or wrong way for culture to to sort of shoot forward is is just it's just silly. It's a mistake. Well, uh, from everybody who was on hand for the Burley event, I heard it was phenomenal. Um, and again, single fins pre 1985, Quinn Bruce from Coolangatta was able to, uh, take the win in the main event over Cooper Chapman from Narrabeen and, uh, shout out to DJ Paul Fisher, who actually made a run. He finished sixth and I saw one or two of his waves. He looked incredible. That guy still surfs great. Um, the legends invitational saw heroes of the past go head to head. Matt Hoy cemented bragging rights for the year, claiming a 16.5 heat total and proving that he still has plenty of competitive fire. Uh, it was actually a seven man heat for the invitational. Paul Sermon got second. Shane Horan got third. Brendan Margison got fourth. Uh, Guy Omarod got fifth. Mark Ocalupo got sixth and Dwayne Harris got seventh. That's so great. Um, fair dinkum for those guys. Um, you know, it made me realize, so there are um, regional events like that, and there have been in the past, and that's that where the real culture of the area comes out. One of them is the Switchfoot Bro-Am, right? Right here yeah. in Encinitas. They have that every summer. Um, you have to switch foot. Your rides are, you know, you have to ride Switchfoot. And then, of course, our own home grown um, San Diego High School uh, um, alumni from the band Switchfoot play at D Street on the beach. 
And it's one of these things like the Burley event where it's just, it, it, it's authentic because it came from the region. You know, another great example of that is the Stone Steps contest, which in some iterations still occurs. Chris and Justin Cote and some others there off of La Mesa Street keep it going. But I mean, back in its day, it was, it was a much grander regional thing for the city of Encinitas. And, and you know, we were drink, not me, but they were drinking resin buckets full of beer prior to each heat. You know, that's probably not going to occur anymore. Although maybe in its smaller iteration now, those guys do have some form of that. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but those it's, things it's need kombucha. to be... It's kombucha. It's <laughs> kombucha. guzzling now. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. But, but you know, those things are cool and, and those events are cool. And, and there's other events like that. The city of Del Mar had events like the city of Del Mar used to have its own city surf contest back in the day when I was a kid there. And, and, um, and I mean, we had at UCSD, when I went to school there, we had the beer open, you know, we would bury kegs in the sand at blacks and, and chug, chug beer before each eat. Which is so funny. There's a trend now. Um, all of last, I don't know, the partiers of 10 and 20 years ago, everybody's focused on fitness now. Like Chris Cote looks more fit than I've ever seen him. You know, like everybody's really um, like in older age, looking fitter in their forties and fifties than they did in their twenties. You're doing the Taylor Knox arc method. You know, it's like, I don't think you had that level of discipline for your, to improve your surfing when you were 20. No, you didn't need it. You were just, you were 20. You would have benefited from it. Probably. Probably would have. You know? I saw so. Taylor Knox in some Instagram ad the other somewhere. I saw him putting some new stuff in his coffee and I was like, oh my God, I gotta go. Exactly. I gotta go buy I gotta go exactly. buy that organic like vegetable protein powder for my coffee. And exactly. then they just show they show Taylor just absolutely killing some wave. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I need to do that. Totally. <laughs> I fully bit the hook. Totally. Uh, marketing works, dude. You're like, that'll make me surf that way. Hey, speaking of marketing, I got some things I need to talk to the listeners about and to you. So Saturday, January 23rd, we're having a giant used parking lot swap. It's at the Del Mar Fairgrounds, the main parking lot, Saturday, January 23rd from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. We've already got over 100 boards lined up. There's going to be a bunch of boards there. If you want to sell your board, go to boardroomshow.com and register your board. Everyone's welcome. It's free parking, free admission, a giant used surfboard parking lot swap, January 23rd, Saturday. That's a week from this Saturday. If I was just a listener who wanted to participate and go sell boards, how would you recommend I price my boards? That's a great question because used surfboard prices are going up because it's so hard to get a custom board these days. I wish I had a, like a, sort of a boilerplate answer for you, but I know, or I wish that even on like the ones that are already the hundred that are already there, I wish I could even see pricing in advance so that I would know how to fit mine into it. Well, look, when you, when you sign up to, to, when you register to sell your boards at this thing, I send you an email that has some advice on what to do. Um, the most important thing is don't, don't price them before you get there. You're just going to bring some blue painters tape and bring a Sharpie and start um, asking around and and kind of price them as you see them and be prepared. Like if you want to sell your board, sell your board. You know, if you're going in there expecting um, some highball price, you know, you're probably not going to sell your board. Um, I could see the price. If it's blue painters tape, I could see prices throughout the day 
going up, going down. It's like the stock market. Exactly. Exactly right. Sold that for for five hundred dollars, rip the tape. Add you know, add a zero. <laughs> That's so true. Um, other things that that I just want to touch on real quick. The California Gold Surf Auction is happening April sixteenth, and we've already got some incredible boards for the California Gold Surf Auction. Vintage surfboards, high end, top tier, highly curated. Uh, a surf collection of surfboards that are going to go under the uh, auction block on the gavel there. That's April 16th. And the Boardroom International Surfboard Show, or in this case, the Boardroom Surfboard Show, <laughs> is taking place. The National in, Surfboard Show. In September. Um, and we moved it back because we do have international uh, vendors there. So September, let me look. I want to say it's the 24th and 25th. It's, it's that weekend in September. Um, bear with me here. I'm looking at my calendar. I'm pulling up 2021. I'm looking at September. Yeah, it's the 25th and 26th of September at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. We're going to be honoring Pat Rawson in the Icons of Foam shaped off and uh, presented by U.S. Blanks and the entire boardroom surfboard show presented by U.S. Blanks September 25th and 26th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. So those three things are, uh, in our sphere and they're coming up here. You wanna know what's funny? What's funny? I was just thinking back to March, the beginning of March, I was in Kauai and uh, we were recording this show remotely. And before we pushed record, we were just talking and I'm like, what are you gonna do with the boardroom show? Like this COVID thing seems like it's kind of pretty serious. That was in March, it was scheduled, your boardroom show is scheduled for May. And you're like, man, I'm really worried. I might have to pull the plug. But in, in regard to today's show, I don't want to talk about COVID at all. It's all in the news. Let's just avoid COVID completely. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. So we did a show like at the beginning of March, a COVID-free show, despite yeah. the fact that it was like, which I still think was a fine decision because it was in the news everywhere and we should have dodged it completely. But it was just, we had no idea what we were in for. No, I was like, oh, let's ignore it for a week. It'll go. That's exactly, that's exactly what my strategy was, was just bury my head and pretend it doesn't exist. Well, you know, by mid-March, this won't even be in the news. Yeah. I was like scrambling to even get a flight home because I thought I was going to get stranded in Kauai. Oh my. Man, how the world has changed. Yeah, things have changed. And it's good that we don't talk too much about that other stuff because that's not really in our realm. And I don't think our listeners want to, they, there's so many places to go to have your own opinion, which is already pretty much solidified and just have more people tell you how great your opinion is. And there's plenty of places for that. I kind of agree with you, but at the same time, if it comes up, if it's related organically to what we're talking about, then I'm fine talking about it. I don't want to put like yeah. a moratorium on things like that because it is relevant okay. at times, you know? Okay. Well, um, <laughs> have you talked to the U.S. Open surf coach lately? <laughs> How's he feeling? <laughs> I actually uh, have not intentionally. I have not. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's just leave it right there. So, before we get in trouble, um, my Duke. Yes. Of the week. Oh, I yes, I have a Duke too. So please with, go ahead. Without a doubt, is yes. the surfers who rescued the children in Santa Cruz Harbor um, on Sunday that day. That was the day of day at Mavericks that Pete Bell got the wave a group of Santa Cruz Yacht Club sailing students were um, somehow, the sailing club sent them out in 25 foot swell 
These were literally seven to 12 year olds in little, what are they, schooners? They're like, called like davits, I think they're called. Okay, or, little sailboats essentially. Yeah, tiny little sailboats. So the footage is harrowing, but these sailboats were, these children were sailing their sailboats back in to the harbor, which is a surf spot. So like the waves well, break. It's, it's, it's not, not a surf, surf spot. spot. It's not a sur- It was surfable that day. Like no, it, it, it is a surf spot, but it's not officially a surf spot. Well, you can get ticketed for surfing there. It's illegal yes. to surf there, but the waves get really, really good. By yes. the way, the, the whole design of a harbor is to eliminate waves and to allow safe passage of boats. Whoever engineered Santa Cruz <laughs> Harbor should get fired from their position and they need to go back to school because that turned yeah. into one of the best waves locally. Anyways, um, these kids were trying to re-enter the harbor when they were caught off guard by a set and they found themselves in terrible position, trapped between the waves and the jacks of the jetty. Their boats capsized. So the footage shows three or four boats on one way. They're coming in. The wave comes in from behind them, capsizes of them, capsizes them almost immediately, um, severely mistimed their entry into the harbor. Kids were submerged into 53-degree water with super strong rip currents pulling them in multiple directions, which is the way the water moves there. The surfers, thankfully, um, I should name them. I didn't list their names, but they're listed on um, Connor Guard Photos Instagram. He tags them. Shane Burns is one of them. A bunch of local surfers were surfing. They just paddle in and start rescuing kids left and right. One surfer said, it was literally a river of water. So I had one kid on my back and I couldn't fight the rip. I was trying to paddle him in. So I actually ended up going back out uh, to where the waves were and I handed the kid off to the Harbor Patrol boat who thankfully was right on top of things. They were super quick to help out. But even then, so you got lifeguards on the beach, you got lifeguards on the boats out the back. The surfers are the ones who are actually closest. So the surfers were the intermediary that actually pulled the kids out of the water and brought them to either of the rescue, uh, professional rescue people. So shout out to those surfers who, you know, foregone, I mean, they, they had access to really amazing waves and they ditched those to go rescue the children. So Dukes of the Week. Yeah, those are my Dukes too. That's who I chose. So yeah. And um, big shout out to Harbor Bill, who is the original, not the original, but the guy that would, would get arrested by the Harbor police, put in handcuffs, and taken to the Santa Cruz Police Department to be processed. Harbor Bill, of course, Josh Mulcoy's father, uh, Bill Mulcoy. And Harbor Bill was a legendary surfer in Santa Cruz, still is, but back in the um, 70s, he was sort of the, he was the, he was the guy that would just flip off the Harbor Police and surf that wave and then get arrested. <laughs> so I wonder what the fine is now. I don't know. Because I would do it. I mean, if it's, 50 bucks, 80 bucks. I would totally do it. 300 bucks, I bet. I don't know. 300, 300 I'd have to think twice because there's other waves breaking everywhere else too, you know? Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, well wait, wait, wait. My kook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kook is uh, Nicholas Oach. You know who <laughs> Nicholas Oach is, is? I don't. Who is he? He is the founder of the Proud Boys chapter in Oahu. He was arrested when touching down in Oahu after flying back from our nation's capital uh, after he invaded the Capitol building. Wow. <laughs> and posted about it on social media. So he's posting Twitter 
selfies on Twitter inside the nation's capital, which he breached illegally. And so then he flies from Washington, D.C. back to Oahu and gets arrested at the airport. So Chaz wrote about it on Beach Grit, and I'll quote because it's funny. Yeah. Said, quote, a deep dive into Oche's uh, Twitter account makes it seem like he does not surf, though there is a video of him urinating into an active lava fissure close enough. In earlier interview with CNN's, he said, we didn't have to break into the Capitol. I just walked in and filmed. There were thousands of people there. They had no control of the situation. It, I didn't get stopped nor questioned. He faces, the charge that he faces is a misdemeanor. And I suppose what confuses me most is in Hawaii, why isn't the group called Da Proud Boys instead of The Proud Boys? It makes me uncomfortable. All right. So that's Chaz right there, huh? That's Chaz's quote, but Nicholas Oach uh, is the kook of the week for storming, illegally entering our nation's capital and uh, seeking to riot and cause havoc and deface the nation's most hallowed grounds. All right. Well, here, here. That seems like um, not a smart move. <laughs> Bereft of intelligence. Okay, well, until next time, David, um, adios and aloha. They say everything can be replaced. They say the distance is not near. So I remember everything.
Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much.